Good morning. Um, pastors Paul and Dan, elders, people um, of this amazing church, just thank you so much, for, number one, for having us here, but, but even more than that, thank you so much for your heart for missions. It's, it's, I feel like that's God's heart of telling people, and we just, we just love that um, about your heart, and so thank you for that. This morning, I wanted to talk about this, this topic of missions. Um, my family lives in a big country on the other side of the world. I won't say which one, but I'll say that it does have a large manufacturing industry and it is known for its affection for the color red. <laughs> when I was a kid, we really didn't know much about this country, honestly. They were road bicycles in the pictures that we saw. We didn't really know much about them. But when it opened up a generation ago, we found that it had a strong and vibrant church inside. How did that happen? A couple of years ago, in the country where we were, we, we met some people who wanted to, to, to do some work for, for God. They live, so we live near a border of a smaller country, and I won't say what that is, but I'll say that they do share an ideology with the country where we live, and they routinely annoy their neighbors by weapons tests. <laughs> so our friends, they wanted to go inside that smaller country, and they wanted to tell people about Jesus. And they said to us that many years ago, people came from another country, from our country, and they told the people before them about Jesus. And because of that, there's a strong church inside. And they said they feel like they owe their lives to the people who came before them, and they were willing to endure any hardship to do the same. And that's the heart of missions. I wanted to talk about two parts of missions this morning. One is the nature of missions. And one, what does it look like to participate in missions? So regarding the nature of missions, I'd like to just briefly touch on what is missions? Why do we do missions? Who should do missions? And how should we do missions? So concerning what is missions, the word missions as we use it in our context is I don't believe it's found anywhere in the Bible in that, in that respect. And yet we see it demonstrated in the Bible, and we see it described in the Bible. One of the best known descriptions of, uh, of missions in the Bible is when Jesus talks to his disciples in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So one way we could look at missions is missions is going and making disciples of all nations. That's what it is. Well, why do we do it? Why do we go on missions? The best answer I can come up with based on what I'm learning about God is just because he loves people so much. One of the, maybe the best known verse in the whole Bible has something to say about why God loves missions. So, because God loves the world so much, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Because he loves so much. He loves, he, loves, he loves people in the world so much. He loves every single person in the world so much. In 1996, I was in Malawi on a short-term mission trip. And I, I just remember this moment. We were in a village, and people were, there's so many people. There are mosquitoes, um, so many mosquitoes. Um, 
people were in, were in rags. Um, um, some had shoes, some didn't. Everyone was in the dirt. And it just hit me in a moment that God loves every single person in this village as much as he loves me. He, loves, he just loves everyone. He has this amazing, strong love. So, so Jesus loves you. That's why missions are important. Jesus loves the person sitting next to you. And Jesus loves the person on the other side of the world. And also, it's been his heart from the beginning. Even in the first chapter of the Bible, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's plan has always been to establish his kingdom over the whole earth. Um, When people start following Jesus, they're transformed. When people groups are transformed, nations are transformed. We see in Revelation this time in the future when when God's kingdom will cover the whole earth. Our job in the meantime is to tell everyone about Jesus' love and invite them. That's missions. That's why we do missions. Well, who should go on missions? Jesus spoke the Great Commission to the remaining 11 disciples, which was the church in seed form. So the Great Commission applies to everyone. It applies to the whole church. So, of course, the next question, does, does that mean every single person is supposed to go on foreign missions? And there is a time when I might have had a different answer than I do now, but luckily there's the Bible. <laughs> so, in Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Barnabas and Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the whole church at Antioch got together and prayed for two people and sent them out. So Paul and Barnabas went, and the rest sent. I'm sure that's not the only thing the people in Antioch did, though. (laughs) Look at the times. You have, in the Bible, a lot of different examples of missions, and they look very different. Think of the woman at the well. She met Jesus, and she immediately goes to her village and tells everyone about Jesus. And the whole village comes to know Jesus because of her. Think of Philip. Church of, Ant- um, sorry, Church of Jerusalem has, um, has experienced persecution. So people are scattered. And as they go, the Holy Spirit tells them where to go. So Philip is just, wherever he goes, he just tells people, tell people about Jesus. That's missions for Philip. He's on missions. Of course, Paul and Barnabas and others, they were formally sent by their church to, the, to far places doing missions that way. So it looks a lot different, but I think something we can safely say is that all of us have a part. Our lives should be a life of mission. We might be sending someone, but we, we, we might be sending people, but we also are probably doing things ourselves. Why? Because you know someone who needs Jesus. I remember when I was just getting to know Jesus, 1992, I think, around. And for most of my life up until then, I was worried about, I imagined this time standing in front of God and ending up lacking, wanting, not enough, something's wrong. And then I started following Jesus and I started having that same worry about my friends or other people. You know. 
And I remember praying passionately, God, please save everyone. And I, for, for some reason, I, I walked around in my, my room, and there was a mirror, and I looked at the mirror, and I felt like God was saying, you're looking to the answer of your own prayer. And so God gives us mission for that prayer to save people. Why? Jesus says we're the light of the world because he's the light of the world and he shines through us. I don't understand it. It's, it's, it's an amazing um, responsibility that the God of the universe gives to us. But he does do it. How do we do missions? Jesus does not leave us without an example. Himself, he's amazing. When, when you probably know this, um, when you move to a new context, when you're with a new group of people, and if you go back to, to the Gospels and start reading, you often will see new things about Jesus that you maybe didn't notice before. And I notice that, that whenever I'm in a situation in any way similar to what Jesus did, and then look at what he did, it's, it's inevitably, what he did is so much better than what I did. Always, without fail. He's amazing, and the more I get to know him, the more amazing I see he is. And so he gives us his example. In um, John 20, 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So he already did it once. Just follow him. And he said in another spot that we're going to be more fruitful, that we'll bear more fruit than, no, what did he say, better than I, I've not forgotten, I'm trying to quote from the, <laughs> but we will do, we'll do greater works than he did. That's amazing too. He says um, he's the vine and we're the branches. And so, maybe I used to misinterpret this one too. Um, I think that's just part of, 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 of the life of Jesus. We're misinterpreting stuff and hopefully interpreting stuff better as we grow older. But it's not so much that he's the vine and if we want to bear fruit, we have to abide with him. But it's more that he wants us to abide with him, and as we abide with him, as we spend time with him because he loves us, we're going to see more fruit. I, my third or, third or fourth year in the field, I had this dream, and I've, I've never had a dream like this before or since. Um, and in the dream, I, I, my, my, it's just, it's the, part, the first part was strange. My, my children and I were doing this, we were some sort of witchcraft, some strange sin that we don't really do in real life, but it was, it was in the dream. We had done this really wacky stuff, it was bad. And then I'm in a room, and there's in the back, in the stream, there's Jesus right there, standing. And the first thing I thought, or I could feel, is that our sin, as horrible as it was, didn't compare to how amazing his love is. Almost like it got swallowed up in his love. Like, in, when, he was, when I felt his love, when I could feel, experience his love, my worst sin had no attraction. And the next thing I noticed is that his love is courageous, it's bold, it's not self-conscious. Jesus is not thinking, oh, I hope, you think, I hope he likes me, I hope he receives me well. No, he's just loving. Um, someone we all, like who's an example of this, someone that we all know, um, I just think that Pastor Paul like this, is that when he, when he talks to you, he's not acting self-conscious, he just loves freely. And I think that's, that's, that's what the love of Jesus is like, he just loves, he doesn't, really worry so much if you're loving him back. It just loves. That's what Jesus' love is like. Another thing I thought is, in, in, in my dream, Jesus didn't say anything. He just looked at me. And it, just the looking was enough to, to transform me. And, 
And transformed it so much so that after I woke up, I, 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 I frightened one of my children because I, um, I wasn't scolding her. <laughs> and she's like, who is this person in my father's body who's not getting angry or scolding me? But, but, but Jesus' love transforms. It's like that. And I thought that, wow, all this, all this emphasis on, on, on strategy or language acquisition, all this other stuff that seems so important, it, it pales in comparison to the love of God. Jesus' love transforms. And if I could just love people like Jesus, then it would be so much more powerful than, than all these other things that I, that I care so much about. And finally, I thought that even that's missing it because in, the, in my dream, I didn't actually talk to Jesus, and I could have. And not so much to, to, to lay guilt on me, but wow, there's an in, open invitation to talk to the Son of God, and he loves spending time with me. And is there anything more important in life than that? That's really what, what this life's all about. But as we do that, as we spend time with Jesus, he says in um, John 15, chapter 5, as we abide in him, we bear much fruit. It's all about love, his love. So if we feel like, um, if we feel like God is moving us towards missions, what can we do? Well, here, here's how we can get started today. Just follow Jesus. <laughs> Number one, step one, follow Jesus. Because your life transforms others. If you, if you think about people that you've known who follow, who follow Jesus, I think of my grandmother when I was growing up. Just being around her made me want to follow Jesus. Wanted, made, just made me better being in her presence. Love the person in front of you with Jesus' love. I was on a short-term trip in, um, gosh, 1995, and we were in inner city St. Louis for a couple months. And my teammate, I don't remember if he ever told me what his strategy was, if it even is that. But I just saw the change. When, when he would just love whoever's standing in front of him with, with Jesus' love. And I, and I saw so clear, it was like God's love coming through him to the, to, the, to the kids that he was loving. And ever since then, that's been my hope for myself. I hope that every single person that's standing in front of me will receive my love. Just love the person in front of you. I think that's transformational. The funny thing about following God is it's not complicated at all. It's just, well, we do it. It's just love, God's love. Love God, love people. Tell people about Jesus. That's what we can do. Because, again, you know someone who doesn't know Jesus. I mean, there are, there are plenty of methods out there you can use to tell people about Jesus, and they have value. It's interesting to me that in the Gospels, I don't see Jesus working, in a sense, um, from a, a method, per se. It's more that I feel like he was listening to his father and just telling, saying whatever that certain person needed to hear. So I think a connection, intimacy with God, is really helpful for a lot of reasons. And, and one is that when you're talking with someone, you can just be asking God, what, what does this person need to hear? If you still don't know, just you can tell them that Jesus really loves you. Can't go wrong with that. It's true. Building your life around Jesus is a way you can start too. Um, many of you already have careers or um, whatever part of life you're in. How do we use my career? How do I use my career to love people? If I'm working in the in the in the in the, in the workplace or um, how can I use my career to love people? If you're young and you haven't yet decided on a career. Instead of money, success, or position, all of which you'll never have enough of if that's what you're searching for, 
If you build your life around love, you will not be unsatisfied with your decision. So, for instance, we have a friend who is a physician. He's uh, an emergency room doctor. Just so competent, so, so well-trained. He spends six months of the year, well, before COVID, things changed with COVID, but for six months of the year, he would earn a living as, a doc, as an emergency room doctor. And then for the other six months, he'd come out to where we live, and he'd use his training to help the people there and inside that other country I told you about. That's building a life around love. So his career serves the love of God. We have another friend who's a veterinarian, and he uses his skills to, to, in the same region where we are, to help people have enough food. So how can I build my life around love? How can I make every decision around love? That's how we can start. You can be praying about, what do you, God, what do you want me to do today? It's not a bad question to ask. Um, God, who, who, do you, um, who do you want my heart to break for? To a person, um, a people group? And, and just ask God, who is it that you want my heart to break for? So that's how we get started. And once we feel, like, now once we start moving into missions, and again, missions is for everyone. Once we move into missions, once we made that decision, how do, we, how do we get deeper? So I talked about seeking the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13 says that if you seek the Lord with a whole heart, you will find him. You will, seek, you'll, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with a whole heart. So seeking the Lord is really important when finding our place where, where God wants us. How do we hear, how do we hear God? The, some people can say confidently, God told me this, God told me that, and it's, it's wonderful. Some people can't. That's fine too. If you're seeking God, that alone is pleasing to him. There's a book written a long time ago, many of you may know, by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. There's a whole ser- you know, study on that. Really excellent stuff. Gives you really practical advice um, if, to, to how to hear God's voice. And if you don't have time for the whole book, you can just search Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby, and look at the, you know, the summary. It's only seven steps. It takes a whole book. Um, but I do recommend that. If, if you have any question about, you know, other people hear God, why don't I hear God? You may already be hearing him. It's okay. Um, some people feel like, like, you know, I'm failing because I don't hear God. For my first 20 years, honestly, on, um, following God, I don't know that I really had much more than a burden and the Bible. Um, and that was enough. And then as just getting older, um, more, I feel like more specific guidance has been coming. But for 20 years, I just read the Bible. God said, help the poor, and I had this burden for people in, in, um, who were urban poor, and just put those two together. Interesting to me, though, in the book of Acts, when you see people, when, when, when angels come and visit, or when the wind comes, or when God speaks to someone or gives a vision, almost always, right before that, the people were worshiping or praying or fasting. So there's something about seeking the Lord. Um, sometimes I envy people to hear God more, but then I have to ask myself, okay, was I really seeking the Lord the way they were? So, so seeking the Lord intentionally is really, is really important. It's important, um, 
if you're feeling a burden or feeling a calling of a particular people group or, or even you know, country or region, research is helpful. We have so much in our age um, available. So learn about the people group, learn um, just as much as you can. Research is helpful. If you feel more formally called like a Paul and Barnabas going somewhere else, or if you feel called locally, you can consider how you'll go. There's probably more than this, but I can think of three, three styles for that. One is being completely um, self-funded. You're paying your own expenses. Another is when you're support-funded. And then another is where you have some sort of um, you know, hybrid model of both, both of those. So if you're, you're um, self-funded, there are a lot of benefits of that. One of those is it may um, provide you access in a way that you wouldn't have before. It might actually help your ministry. We were, I, I moved into a government housing project in 2000 and lived there for six years and we were just hoping to, to, help, to reach our neighbors um, and start house church and, and, and so on. And for a couple of those years, I was, I was getting some support. And uh, to the extent that I really didn't need to work. And, and also I was single, and it's cheaper when you're single. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I, I was talking with someone, I was just out talking in front of the apartments with someone, and I was trying to encourage the person to get a job, and he said, well, what's your job? And I said, well, I'm talking to you, that's my job. <laughs> and, and the more I tried to explain that, it just didn't seem to make any sense to him for some reason. And so it, it came to me that, oh my goodness, I need to be doing something if I'm trying to tell people to do something. I need to be doing something. So then I kind of started getting off support and just doing self-funded, and I, I just started, I had no marketable skills, so I sold insurance to, um, to, to, to companies, and I just, just did that, just found something I could do. And, and it was helpful because it, it allowed me um, some access. Another way it helps access is, um, you know, most of the unreached world these days is, is in closed countries. That's why it's unreached. And so to get in those closed countries, it, it can be really helpful if you have a skill that you can do and just work in that, in that country. So to provide access. One of the most Im important questions that you'll be asked if you go into a closed country from the perspective of the government is where do you get your money? <laughs> and they might say like how much money you, you say, because they, they know you're not gonna say that you're a missionary. But if they can figure out where your money is coming from, it's a pretty short distance to figure out why you're actually there. So if you're, if you're self-funding, it really does help. We've been able to, and we, we have a little bit from, from my old business, and gosh, I forget. Well, I'm working now as a, as a teacher. And so I'm able to point to that, and, and it makes it easier. Drawbacks. What we noticed when we were, when we were self-funding is we have no one to report to. No one's praying for us. I mean, someone, I'm sure, but for the most part, no, no one really understands what we were doing at the time. So it's kind of a, a alone, it can feel like very alone. Also, the pressures to perform, whatever you're doing for that self-funding, can edge out why you're really there. I have clients that need my, and I need the clients, and they want help now. I guess I can't have that Bible study with you today. So it's important to kind of weigh all these things out when you're considering what um, missions looks like for you. On the other side of the spectrum, self-funding. A lot of benefits of that too. I love having someone to report to. I love um, people encouraging us. It's just so, someone told me this morning, that we, you know, our picture is on our refrigerator, she's been praying for us for years. I was like, wow, and that's so touching. I can't even just describe how wonderful that is. It's so touching. And it, not being alone in what we're doing is so helpful. Uh, I, I'm sure the church at Antioch was praying for Paul. How could they not? And it's just, it's just beautiful. 
On the, on the, on the, now, a drawback, if you're, if you're fully self-funded, is that could be a security risk if you're going into a, a closed country. And as I mentioned before, it might not make sense if you're helping people here. It's also important to moderate the usage of foreign money. This is, this is for people who go overseas. Just understand that the standard of living might be different, and if, if we try to live at the standard of living we have here, there it could make what we're doing less effective. Separation, envy, gossip, dependence, these are all things that can happen if we're, if we're not moderating usage of foreign money. You can use it to help people, like scholarships and um, 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 helping, like we help people who don't have, um, women who don't have husbands, kids don't have parents, um, that's fine. Um, just being careful that it doesn't actually affect our standard of living. Our standard should be, I think, at the same or lower than the people we're reaching out. Otherwise it just sends the wrong messages. And then one other thing you do is you can do a mixture of both those models. You could be, you could be partially self-funding and you could also re receive support. And that, again, it has the benefits of both, the accountability, um, people praying for you, uh, access. On the, on the downside, you just have to moderate that too. People talk about multiple streams of income and that's great, but my experience is that multiple streams of income means multiple lines of responsibility. Those money, that the money, every dollar that comes in, you have to do something for that. So it's important to moderate um, um, whatever it is that you're doing for income. That is, you don't, you just don't need that much money coming in. So it's important to moderate that um, and just and resist any temptation to undo, you know, prosperity. But on, on the positive side, it, it really does. It provides the best of both, I think. In the Bible, best I can tell, Jesus was fully um, supported by other people. Best I can tell. Don't see anything about him like carpentry or anything while he was helping people. Paul seemed to do to, to both. He talks about self-funding more, and he probably you know did. And yet, I'm sure the church. And then the church of uh, Philippi was helping him. I'm sure the church of Antioch. It doesn't say that, but I'm pretty sure the church of Antioch would have helped him too. How could they not? Um, and there are a lot of expenses that he had, you know, before he would have had a ch chance to make tents. You know, he has to. Things he does cost money. He's paying for passage somewhere and, and so on. So, so Paul did both. He had, a, he had a, like a mixed approach. Consider who will send you then. Um, if you may, again, if you're just doing local missions here, and I don't, I'm sorry, I just used the word just, and I don't mean just. If you're doing local missions here, because that's awesome too. If you're doing local missions, I'm just saying because it's less complex. If you're doing lo local missions here, it may be enough to have your church send you because the church is already in the culture and knows the culture and can provide adequate support. If you're going overseas, the church may or may not be able to provide all the support you need. Um, counseling, security training, third culture, child development, debriefing, grief management, these are all things that are really helpful in, an, in a very complicated international environment. And sometimes a, a, a church will be able to, to provide these things and sometimes they won't be fully equipped for, the, for that. So. A, a, a single sending church is great. Sometimes what people do is they um, have many individuals and churches together through a missions agency. And again, the, the benefits I just mentioned, um, it's a very complicated world right now and there's a lot of um, resources that a, a ministry can provide. That have, and for us, it's been invaluable having support for our kids. We don't know how to raise our kids overseas or when they feel this way, what do we do? education for, you know, we don't know these things and, and, they, and it can be tremendously helpful. So how, who sends you? And then if we want a first experience, what does that look like? So 
if you're doing local missions here, it can just be just testing the water. Sometimes it's good to have a mentor or to spend time with someone who's already doing that. That can be invaluable. If, it, if, if the mission that God's calling you specifically involves movement to somewhere else, how do you, how do you get started with that? I want to touch on short-term missions. Short-term missions. Um, and I'll say, first off, that I've had a lot of, I've, I've done a lot of them and had really good experience with them. Overall, um, I just I did some research for this, this talk on, on, on the effectiveness of short-term missions. And so there's kind of, it can be mixed. Um, so if, if sometimes short-term mission trips, if, if it's more, if it foster, um, fosters dependency on us going, like if we're going and then whatever we did, we have to come back and fix it or whatever. That if we're doing something that the, the host group or the, the host nation could already do by themselves, um, I've, I've done missions where I'm, where I'm spending time with orphans and then I leave them. I never see them again. I'm not looking back. I'm not sure how helpful that was. So if you have, but I, th I think, I mean, short-term missions are in the Bible. There are a lot of examples of them, actually. So there's something there. And I think if, if we do it wisely, it can be really great. So if it's designed around the needs of the people who live there or around the, long, the needs of the long-term mission, missionaries, with their guidance, it can be really helpful. It's really great if the members who are going have some sort of expertise that they can bring them with, with a, that they can offer to the, the people in the host country. That can be wonderful. The sending church should have some sort of training program. Rule of thumb, it'd be great for it to be a, a year just meeting together, getting ready for the trip, even if it's a very short trip. That could have um, culture, language, refining skills, and then on the other side, um, it would be great to have follow-up afterwards to kind of keep help, help the person continue to process what they saw and, and move on to the next step of their journey. A really healthy model of short-term missions is anything where you have an ongoing relationship with the host church and you're sending people back and forth over years. Obviously, we see that here. Um, that can be really healthy because you're getting feedback, you're making sure that what you're doing is actually helping, you, you can provide expertise, um, you have an ongoing relationship, and it almost doesn't feel like short-term missions after a while because you have an ongoing relationship. That can be tremendously healthy, and that's, that is a healthy place where you can plug in new people and they can test, you know, test the waters in a healthy way that helps everyone. So rule of thumb is if we're, if we're going on short-term missions to, to help the people in the field and to help the people who live there, the local population, much more than just to help our own spiritual growth, and we're probably on the right track. But just with a lot of wisdom, um, short-term missions is something we should approach with a lot of wisdom. I think of short-term missions kind of, and, and long-term missions, kind of like the difference between dating and marriage. I, I, I might go on, an, on a few dates and think I really understand marriage. <laughs> there are some things in common, but they can also be really different. Um, Example of short-term missions, there are a lot in the Bible, but think of Jesus sending the, tw the, the 12 or the 72. That's short-term missions. But he, he did it knowing the culture um, and, and, and the language, and he sent them with an actual thing to do. He's, prepare he's having them prepare the way for him to come. He had ongoing training. They were walking with him. He was, and then debriefing on the other side. I saw Satan falling like lightning. Um, they had expertise. What was their expertise? Well, they had him. They um, could heal the sick and raise the dead, you know. Cast out demons. That's not bad. If we know Jesus, that's good to do. 
um, if, if, if short-term missions is more like dating, then a survey trip might be more like courtship, if you'll allow the analogy. So that's when, if you're feeling called over, overseas, and you're getting close, to, you're, like, you're really pretty committed to this, then you could talk with folks in the field and see if they'll let you come out. And the goal may or may not be to actually do um, the actual mission. It may be more you're just going there to talk with the people who work there, talk with the locals, and learn as much as you can. And then while you're there, pray, God, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? They can be tremendously useful, and I know, I I know a lot of folks in the field who, who strongly recommend that before you come long-term. Quick case study. This is a friend of mine. When, when we were um, working in, um, among Urban Four, um, these people were mentoring me at the time. Um, and yet, he, his heart, Jim, Jim, Jim's heart was already breaking for women who were caught in the sex industry in Thailand. This is Jim and Judy Larson. And so, while we were do, doing the work we were doing, he, was, he would tell us often about how horrible it is that these women are caught in this industry. So, he started studying Thai. Um, he started researching it. And then he, he traveled to Bangkok several times. I don't know, three, four, five times. Um, to meet the, the, the people who are already working over there, to meet the locals. He brought his family. Um, and then he came back and he told people here about what, what, what he was up to. And many people got, got excited about it. He took a photographer with him and went back. The photographer made a photo exhibit and, and then brought it back to America, made a photo, photo exhibit, then people would come and then they'd get involved. And then in 2004, he moved to Thailand and started helping. And it's, you know, many years later now, they're still at it. They're at the point now where locals are doing most of the work. They're helping women in the sex industry to get out. And they come, and then Jim and Judy, they come back and they they provide um, guidance and oversight with the goal of making it eventually completely um, run by locals. That's what it can look like. So... What does missions mean for me? What does it mean for you? You already may have a clear mind of what, what, what or a clear idea of what God has, has for you, and you're, you probably are, many of you are already doing it. I, I put a sheet in, or I asked for put a sheet to be put in the bulletin, and if you just have time, if you could look at it briefly. This may or may not be helpful for you. You may already be going after Jesus. But if it is helpful, it's just, it's just an aid, I hope. I'm gonna, um, if, if the worship team could come up, I'd just love that. If, if, um, and I'm going to um, pray. But while we're praying and while the worship team's um, singing, um, feel free to write anything down about if God's showing you something, what is your part in God's plan? You can put anything you want. It's your paper. If, are, are you burdened by something? Is, are you feeling called in a particular direction? Or maybe you think you might be. And then second, what are you going to do? If, if God's calling, telling you to make a commitment, then you can write it right there. This is what I'm going to do. When I'm going to do it. Right, so let's um, let's pray if we could, and then we'll sing, and then at any time if God you know gives you stuff, please please write it down. All right, let's pray. Father, you are love. We thank you so much that you love the world. We thank you so much that while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son to die for us. We we love you because you love us, and. Um, we thank you that you showed us the way, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are, that you are the way. And we just want to follow you. Um, if there's something, if there's a next step for us that we're not already doing, would you just show us that? And 
just help us make you happy today. Show us who you want us to talk to and show us where you want us to go. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.